Hello, and welcome to episode three of the Miss Fisher Files. I'm Mary. And I'm Chandler. And today we're talking about episode three, the Green Mill Murder. This is one of my all-time favorites, and it's only episode three. I know. (laughs) There's so much going on in this episode. There's so many... I I think every episode has kind of at least one social theme that they're talking Mm -hmm. about. Like, there's abortion in the first Mm -hmm. episode, and there's children's issues in the second episode and then here we've got so many we've got interracial marriage we've got gay rights we've got war trauma we we talk about the jazz age Mm -hmm. and jazz performers and we even get our first hint of religious differences with (laughs) dot (laughs) yep and there's this overarching theme of blackmail and in every case black people are being blackmailed for being different in some way and i think that's a major theme here. So yeah, there's a lot of meat in this episode. Yeah, there's there a really lot is. to sink our teeth into and I just love that about it. Yeah. There are also some fantastic costumes. Oh yeah. Starting off with her dress at the <sighs> Green Mill. That dress. I it thought is we, amazing. I thought we couldn't top that purple dress in the last episode, <laughs> but man, <laughs> you were wrong. It, that thing is incredible. It's the kind of the classic flapper yeah. outfit. Um, more, so many jewels. She has jewels in her false eyelashes. She's got jewels in her hair. That would drive me crazy. I could not have bangs and a yeah, jewel headband. Yeah, it would be really uncomfortable. Yeah. I would imagine it would be very sweaty too. <laughs> yeah, but how do you how do you do the Charleston with all that <laughs> that bling on? I yeah. Just <laughs> the dress is just an. It's so it's scandalous. It's scandalous. Too. Like you, you can, can like see, see her navel. Yeah. You can see like can see through it. It's only her undergarments that pre- prevent right. you from actually seeing more than her navel. Right. It's a hell of a dress. And it's got the tassels at the bottom, which oh, yeah. would be so fun to dance in. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the whole point of the dress. Yeah. She wears that little gold scarf. That's tied, like, yeah, tied into that little so, knot. Yep. Oh, I love that dress so much. So good. And it really accentuates that ideal figure of that era. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. You know, the Victorian era... The quote ideal woman's figure was the hourglass, and it's completely the opposite in the right. flapper era. And you know, Essie Davis's figure is perfect for this. She's small chested, she's very lean and kind of boyish almost in her mm-hmm. figure. Um, and so she really fits that flapper outfit. And I love uh, the history of what the flappers wore because corsets went by the wayside because they needed the metal to build warships. Wow, it was war. It was war related. Wow, it's sort of like um, in World War II, silk stockings were rationed because they mm. needed the silk for parachutes, and so they. Sure. And even then, it wasn't enough. So that's why they developed nylon, and so nylons <laughs> for wearing only came about after World War II. I think that's really, really interesting. But yeah, a, a, yet another impossible ideal for women. To oh, I know. Live up yeah, to. I mean, even the ideals that are still in place come from the flapper era. Oh yeah, because that was the first time like the, being thin. Yeah, Forget Twiggy. We've got the flappers. Yeah. Yeah, they were the very first. Yeah. So Mm. I have sort of a love-hate relationship with the flappers because of Mostly I love them. Mostly I love them, but I'm like, yeah, thanks for the anorexia, ladies. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, But I think, you know, when you talk about these costumes, this is where we really get a sense for these characters' identities told through costume, and I think even more importantly, told through color. Mm-hmm. I think last time we talked about silhouettes, recognizable silhouettes for characters. Here we have color schemes yeah. for characters. Like Jack is the the French gray. He is the, <laughs> French the, gray. the man in gray, kind of the <laughs> mysterious, inscrutable man in gray. And then we have Dot in her 
beige and brown and peach. Those are her. Mm-hmm. That's her color triad, and she wears it in almost every scene in almost every episode. Beige and brown and peach. Um, we have, uh, and, and we have Phryne. Phryne is the center of the show, and she is in the more saturated colors. She is not afraid of wearing rich blacks dark purple velvets mm-hmm. red rich wine red brocades and you know hot pink yeah. feather boas really dark jewel tones jewel and tones rich saturated over dyed colors they contrast really nicely with her skin too yes very pale, she's pale. Mm-hmm. yeah and then she has this black bob yeah. and that black robe with the cockfight <laughs> on the back <laughs> Yeah, so she she has all of the saturated color, um, which I, I wonder if that wasn't maybe just a little bit scandalous at the time. Hmm. It's very flashy, very showy. I would imagine it showed that you had money. Yeah, to get of course. the level of dying. dying yep, would Those it would jewel be expensive? Tones. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When you think about like Renaissance painting, you know the right. the reason why. The Virgin Mary and Jesus are in blue is because blue lapis lazuli was the most expensive mm-hmm. pigment, and so they only used it for depicting royalty and deity. Right. These really expensive golds and reds mm-hmm. and blues. And now we take it for granted because oh, yeah. there's so many. Because we have synthetic colors yeah. and. But then it would have been a very precious. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the signifier of class. Yeah. And I think they use that to really great effect here, not just of class, but of identifying who these people are, mm-hmm. what their personnel. So she's much more bold and brash and color, colorful, literally. She's a colorful character. <laughs> she is a colorful character. And Dot is very meek and homey mm-hmm. and, and down to earth. And she has these kind of earth tones and sweet, innocent peaches and yeah. pinks. <laughs> and then Jack. <laughs> French gray. I love that color. It's gray, but it's just a little warm. Yeah. There's a little warmth in there. So in the books, his sort of claim to fame is that he has an unmemorable face. And I wonder if they're bringing that into his wardrobe. Yeah. Like he can just kind of fade into the background and people don't remember him. He doesn't stand out. So they're more inclined to go about their normal business without realizing they're being witnessed by a cop. Well, yeah. And he, you know, even the actors, his, his, face his looks mm-hmm. he's very good looking but not in like a Rob Lowe no, Tom Cruise hit you over the head kind of way yeah he had to kind of grow on me I the he's first, unusual looking yeah but I mean he's got that chiseled jawline he does that, but he's got you know he's got kind of fleshy lips and kind of <laughs> he's he has kind of these inscrutable eyes it's not the eyes are I think what are really interesting about him yeah and what differentiate him from like a Rob Lowe or like right. a, you know like right. a more classic he, I think he's extremely good looking but I think he's very unconventional yeah. in his good looks which mm-hmm. I think it makes him all the more interesting mm-hmm. like not Definitely. knocking Rob Lowe but right. the, the Rob Lowe's of the world they may be rare in their beauty but <laughs> I've seen that type of beauty yes. enough times right in movies because that seems to be what we all want but I, I prefer the unusual glamour and you know Dot too Dot is beautiful but not in a conventional way she doesn't fit that flapper norm she's right. extremely busty she's a very real curvy woman mm-hmm. she's got you know baby fat and and she's beautiful yeah. and and I think that's it's a great way of showing that yeah there was this societal ideal but mm-hmm. everybody there were real people who 
existed in this society yeah. with its ideals. Every once in a while, there would be a scene with Dot, and she'll smile or something, and I'm just like, whoa, yeah. she is just she's gorgeous. She's lovely. Yeah. She's a knockout, but yeah. she's so understated usually that you Yep. Aren't... And she wears these dowdy, matronly Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like she's trying to sort of downplay any yeah. bit of beauty there, but yeah, you can't hide it. She she's just... very sensible. She wears sensible mm-hmm. footwear. She yep. wears, you know, you're not going to catch Dot in the plunging neckline. <laughs> she's going to wear the little wide lapel, bust-hiding sailor outfit. <laughs> Even when at House of Fleury, she still ends up with a suit, which we'll talk about later. But that, that, that's, oh, I love that episode I too. do too. But yes, that's another, it's a conversation for another day. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I love their delving into the jazz age in this episode. I'm a really big fan of early 20th century jazz. Hmm. I listen to that, that kind of music all the time. Love that stuff. And I love their sort of nod to it. And, and I love that they mention America in this episode because of course jazz is an American art Mm -hmm. form and the influence on the jazz age came from what was happening in America and most specifically what was happening in black America at the time and so one of our major characters in this episode is a black woman and who's an who's an American mm-hmm. and who's a jazz singer and she is amazing. I think she's kind of a wonderful placeholder for sort of a Josephine Baker yeah. type. Uh, she's an incredible performer. Her voice is just it's sort phenomenal. of haunting. Haunting. I, that's the word. Yeah. That scene at the end where she's singing oh, outside the prison is yes. just haunting and beautiful. <laughs> it really and is very strange and wonderful. And what I love about her. Her character is she's kind of this archetype for the jazz singer who stands out. She is an outsider, even in this liberal community of this club, even Mm -hmm. in the middle of the jazz age. She's an outsider. She's an American. She's black. She's in an interracial marriage, which is even though it's it's legal in Australia, as they talk about, it's illegal in America. It's still unusual. And it's it turns heads. Mm -hmm. And uh so it really reminds me of that story of Josephine Baker of of having a hard time in America because she was so different and then so she goes overseas she goes Josephine Baker went to France and mm-hmm. was hugely popular yeah. she was a superstar in France yep and so I feel like this is parallel paralleling that story so there's a little bit of a backstory here I, I did a little bit of digging and Ooh. I found out something really interesting um, there's a scene where we're back at Franny's house and that odious banjo player. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Stone. Mr. Stone in the white double-breasted suit that I can't stand. (laughs) And who does, let me just say, the worst job of air banjo I have ever seen in my life. (laughs) Some of the worst fake playing I have ever seen. (laughs) That scene where he is trying to seduce Franny in her parlor, he puts on a record for her. And he mentions uh, Sonny Clay and his Plantation Orchestra, which was an all-black orchestra from the 1920s. Uh, They had something like 35 musicians, all African-American. And he mentions that they just played in Melbourne. So I went and looked that up. And it is absolutely true. Really? Yeah. In 1928, Sonny Clay and his orchestra actually did a tour of Australia. And they were hugely popular in both Sydney and Melbourne. And, but there's a really interesting story about this. Apparently, even though they packed houses and had a really successful tour, there was a huge backlash to them being there because, of course, the race issue came up. And hmm. apparently there was a police riot 
a police raid, I'm sorry, a police raid of one of their shows. And uh, there was this huge scandal over it. There were brawls happening. Um, and so because of this, and I, because of the police raid and everything, Australia actually deported Sonny Clay and his entire orchestra. Whoa. And not only barred them from coming back to Australia, they actually passed a law barring all black musicians from entering Australia from outside the country. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding. And this was in effect until 1954. What? And it kept Louis Armstrong couldn't <gasps> come to Australia to tour because no. of this law. So he that finally was crazy. able to come to Australia in 1954. How crazy is that? That is absolutely crazy. Yeah. So I love that they actually made reference wow. to this yeah. in the episode. Wow. Nice digging. <laughs> Thanks. The that is fascinating. <laughs> but this is the level of research that I love about yeah. the show. That they actually do their homework and they, mm-hmm. they go into this. Because I know that I'm not the only fan who's sitting there Googling. Oh, no. Definitely not. And and yes, I had heard sir. of Sonny Clay and his orchestra before. I've, I've heard of him. I'm not really familiar with his music. But, mm. but I do know that that what was happening in in the black jazz clubs influenced absolutely everybody and hmm. and in fact Josephine Baker got her start in the 1921 musical Shuffle Along which is the song everybody knows from and it's I'm just wild about Harry and oh, Harry's yeah. wild about me that came from Shuffle Along which hmm. was the first all black Broadway show and it it played something like 500 performances it was Whoa. a record performance huh. and Josephine Baker was a cast member of that show and that's wow. where she got her start on Broadway so yeah it all kind of comes back to what was happening in Harlem and the mm-hmm. other black jazz communities at the time and I love that they kind of pay homage to that in this episode so we have Noreen and Ben we have this couple and then we find out that Noreen attempts to take the fall for Ben and there's that great scene where she's being interrogated by Jack and Jack figures out that the the angle is wrong she couldn't possibly have done it and Hugh is standing there in the background, <laughs> cringing. He winces every winces. time she demonstrates. <laughs> I really love his facial expressions. Oh, yeah. They just, they add a tremendous amount to the show. And he has some golden moments in this one. <laughs> Dot comes to the office and delivers the lunch for Phryne. Mm-hmm. He, she comes to the police station. He sees the cross around her neck. Yeah. And that darling little out-of-tune piano theme that's been playing since the first episode they end the line of music on it on the wrong note right like it falls sort of like and that's when he realizes that oh crap she's wearing a cross yeah oh my god she's catholic so we get to see his classic facial expressions in that (laughs) and then when at the end when Phryne puts her in that red lipstick and he walks in and has a stroke when he sees her (laughs) and then when he's supposed to frisk everybody the women at the green mill how could i forget that oh my gosh so funny and poor noreen well not poor noreen poor hugh because noreen totally messes with him yeah and i just feel so bad for hugh but also it's hilarious and she actually is hiding the murder weapon up there turns out yeah (laughs) it was right there and that scene is really fun because it's starting i mean i guess it's continuing to establish the working relationship with Friday and Jack because of course Friday is at the scene of the crime of course of course and so she secures the scene people just drop like flies around they her. really do she's very dangerous <laughs> I would avoid her um but she's just so fun how can you if you not meet her be drawn you might in? end up dead or you might end up working for her yeah yeah you might either be one. part of her family or you'll die or die yeah. yeah either way but Jack comes in and I love the um 
the camera angle as he's going through the crowd. He's like trying to part the crowd to and get what you to the see crime. Is her in that scandalous dress. Yeah, standing there patiently, kind of almost with like a chagrined look. Like, yep, I'm with another dead body. Yep. We may just hear, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me. And then there she is. And yes, and she's taken this giant wad of money off the body. (laughs) He's like, I should have you arrested for this. I I secured the scene. scene. (laughs) Now, is this the episode where we get her sexy mug shots? Yes, it is. So I think he actually does arrest her. Yeah, because she breaks into Charlie's lover's flat. Flat. Yeah. She climbs that drain pipe in heels. And that alleyway, we will see that alleyway again. They recycle that location. Was that the one in the first episode, too? I don't remember, but I know I see we see it again later. Yeah. You know, the problems of filming a period piece in a modern city is that there's only so many places you can go and Mm -hmm. you have to dodge. You either have to hide modern, uh, the evidence of modern life, like telephone poles or satellite dishes and stuff, or, or you have to go find a place that doesn't have many of them or any of them so yeah so we see that we see that alleyway again and her mug shots are hysterical they really are and she's cracking Hugh up the whole time (laughs) (laughs) I know his face is really fun to watch during that scene oh that whole that whole bit in the station there's so much there where she's feeding Graton to yeah to Jack and that is the first time it establishes that he is just all about food like he's always always hungry and then we see he has a sense of humor when he finally grabs the fork she's like if I give you more will you let me look at the file and then he kind of gives that little embarrassed grin yeah and then we find out Mm. she says I haven't taken anything seriously since 1918 before that it's really easy to say she's just sort of a frivolous person right who does what she wants to do regardless of consequences but or, we find out there's much more than that yeah there's, and there's I some real depth there. jack finds out oh okay that's why you are the way you are and then can't just discount everything and he she can does. relate to that himself because oh, yeah. we find out later that he also served in the war and came back a changed man and we don't he doesn't say that in this episode but not too much not too much further in the future he's going to talk about that mm-hmm. so yeah i think he recognizes how that would something else in common yeah they have something in common and how it would transform your view of life and Mm -hmm. how you live it but that's really helpful to find that out about her background yeah and she also alludes to you know at the beginning when Noreen and and Ben when we meet Noreen and Ben and Noreen says what's the matter haven't you seen a black and white married couple before and and Franny says it's my favorite quote yeah as far as I'm concerned, everybody should be able to marry whomever they choose. Though personally, I'm not the marrying kind. <laughs> <laughs> and that sets us up for yeah. I mean, that, the rest that of... That kind of says it all about yeah. her character. That she will not be tied down. She's independent. She's completely liberal. Mm-hmm. She's progressive, forward-thinking, yep. and she's open-minded. Good people doing their thing. Yep. But live she's and not... let live as long as she gets to live as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So go Franny. I know. It's a really good line. Yeah. And and I think that's the perfect setup for when we find out why. So we 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 find out not till the very end almost why Noreen is being blackmailed. Mm-hmm. We think it's just because of the interracial marriage, but it's much more than that. Yeah. Uh but we when we find out why Charlie's being blackmailed, then we it sets up how Franny's going to react to that, which is she's going to be understanding, of course. And Right. And it's interesting to see Jack's reaction because 
in a way, his hands are tied. However, he might feel personally the mm-hmm. law is that being gay is illegal, and people can serve jail time for that. But but then we see that he's not a letter of the law person. He's a spirit of the law mm-hmm. person because at the end, oh, I just don't know what happened to those photographs. <laughs> I was glad that they showed the reaction that Hugh had to those photos. Yeah, because it's it's too easy to fall into modern morality mm-hmm. about this and say, oh yeah, that's totally fine, when it wouldn't have been, no, no matter how open-minded you it were. It would have been incredibly scandalous yeah. and really dangerous. And even if you were like Franny and you were perfectly fine with whatever choices somebody made in their personal life, it's still, yes, it would have been dangerous. It would have been, everybody would have known it was illegal. Yeah. And it, it would have been a major risk. And I think even, it would have been shocking because it wasn't something people have been around. It's, it wasn't just part of everyday life. Right. Yeah. Okay. Another costume element. Okay. The aviator scarf. Ugh. Because guess what else Franny is? She's a pilot. Of course. Of course. So I think this that brings up another interesting thing is we, we meet Charlie's brother who is living this secluded life out in the bush. And is it because he's disfigured from the war? I think, yeah, I think it's partially because he's disfigured. I think also he's disillusioned mm-hmm. because of what he's been through. He doesn't want to have to play the game, yeah. play nice in society anymore. Right. And war. I think his mother seems like the kind of woman, society woman, who's going to make him play that game. Yeah. Yeah, she's obviously a prominent friend. citizen. She's wealthy. Yeah. She's upstanding in the community. Um, perfect target for a blackmailer, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With a gay son and one who's pretending to be dead. Good job. <laughs> it's kind of the perfect package right yeah, there. Yeah, two for two. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a whirlwind. It's a little bit, there's kind of a lot there. But mm-hmm. I think it's handled better than the previous episode was. It's yeah. handled much more deftly. And so we get kind of a a big overall sense of what that period was about, what it was like for people after the war, what it was like to be different mm-hmm. in this era, no matter how progressive it might seem, you still couldn't be gay, you still couldn't, still, you couldn't be black. Right. Uh, so it, I think it, it is a nice contrast of how progressive Franny is and how, how far society has to go still mm-hmm. to catch up. Okay, so my other favorite quote in this episode is when Jack and Franny are sitting in one of the interview rooms, I think, and she's just shown him how the dart was blown through the trumpet mute. And Jack says, I don't know who has the more fanciful imagination, Rogers for coming up with it, or you for working it out. And she says, Jack, me, obviously. (laughs) It's such a good line. So good. Okay, I just have to have a a little bit of a beef here, because... How on earth could that be possible? Yeah. That dart was heavy. (laughs) If it's going to, it has to be heavy enough to actually pierce somebody's sternum and kill them. So wouldn't it have to be like a really loud note that's played to even get it out of the mute? And and to be able to get it across a 20 foot room filled (laughs) with people dancing. Someone could have been twirled right into the line of fire. (laughs) And to have to make sure that that, perfect moment aligns with the note that you have to play in right. the song and a metal a metal pin passing through a metal trumpet wouldn't you hear like a jangling it's not in the trumpet though it's in the it's mute. in the mute i suppose yeah, yeah. okay i still am not it is buying it very unrealistic 
but I don't remember any loud notes during that. Yeah, there's. It's maybe I was too mesmerized by the bad fake banjo playing. (laughs) (laughs) When I rewatched, there are some. There is a little part there with a trumpet that gets louder, but. I really feel like it would have had to be one. You'd have to be like very, yeah, yeah, very noticeably different note than any of the <laughs> others, and that did not occur. So yeah, it's imaginative, but highly unlikely. Yeah, but I do love that she figures it out, and she figures it out based on like etches in brick, and then remembering and the bulletin board too. Isn't there like some yeah. sort of bulletin board in the dressing room? Yep. Yeah, and then somebody throws a dart in her house. Well, and and I have to say, I was horrified for the woodwork. <laughs> Like, no, the woodwork. <laughs> Don't worry. It was just the set. Okay. They did not actually okay. damage Wardlow. Okay. Oh, is that the name of the real house? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I really hope not. Because <laughs> that would be just sacrilegious. <laughs> I think it'd probably be illegal. Probably. No throwing it's darts on the, the National the Vintage Historic woodwork. Registry or something. So, yeah. yeah. So, what else? Um, that Even the airplane is very friny. It's this <laughs> bright banana yellow <laughs> twin seater de Havilland. It's pretty pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean nothing you, subtle about it. Can't you just see her like landing on an airstrip and like waltzing in in her in a fancy scarf and right. a cloche hat like <laughs> <laughs> and those calfskin high heels that she wears. I mean I could just see it. <laughs> it's so friny. <laughs> Let's talk about the matchmaking. Yes. That both Jack and Phryne yep. do. Because Jack gets all gossipy when he goes up to Phryne and tell and says, Did you did did has Hugh asked Dot yet? And And she says, Dottie wouldn't have kept that under her hat. Yeah. And so they're like they're commiserating and also conspiring to get these it's two hilarious. together. It's really cute. Yeah, it's really adorable. And and it brings out, I mean, it shows that they are both mentors for right. these younger people. And it sort of flies in the face of the stereotype of, like, the women always trying to fix each other oh, up yeah, with no. men. And Jack, Jack is, is right in there with her. He really is. Yeah. And later provides uh, books. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. the Shakespeare book to right. Hugh and to Friday help him. And also provides books. Yes, she also... Much earthier books, yeah. shall we say. <laughs> Older than Shakespeare, even. Older, but, yes. Um, with pictures. With equally good advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if not better. I would say more practical advice. Perhaps, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Again, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think... And isn't it Jack that says, well, it's not as if she's a, a different species or something about It's being, not as if she has two heads. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, then Hugh actually quotes that right back to yeah. her. And it's just, oh, it's hilarious. But he says, in the eyes of his mother, it would be preferable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny because the fact that this is all taking place in Australia and all the actors are Australian, with the exception of woman who plays Noreen um it's funny because they and of course Australia is a, a country of immigrants just like the U.S. is but being an American viewer I keep having this mental placeholder of these accents in my head like I keep expecting Hugh to be the stereotypical Irish cop <laughs> like he looks Irish yeah you know he's he's a redhead and he's a pugilist as we find out later he's kind of the stereotypical Irish cop from Brooklyn except he's in <laughs> Australia and the the trumpet player who turns out Ben the, who turns out to be mm-hmm. the murderer I just 
keep expecting a New York accent to come out of his yep. mouth, and it and it doesn't. Every time he that Australian accent comes out, it's just jarring to me. <laughs> it is very surprising. <laughs> so it, it's funny how there's kind of these archetypes that these characters are filling, except it's a different it's a, it's a different context, mm-hmm. it's a different country. Um, but it's interesting how how much how diverse Australia is as well, and we. we get more and more glimpses of this later there's these different populations we have you know we meet russian communists later and we we meet hasidic jews later and we so there's all and we meet the the chinese population mm-hmm. in a in an upcoming episode so there, there's all of these different kind of ethnic groups within melbourne culture and Phryne knows her way around all of them of course she does <laughs> and i think i think the show could do better on the racial front, especially when yeah. we get to the Chinese episodes. Yeah. Um, we have kind of the stereotypical yeah. battle axe mother-in-law situation. Yeah. yeah it, it's a little unfortunate yeah. in that arena. Or the, but, oh, everybody thinks he's an opium dealer because he's yeah. Chinese. Right. And, they and do, he even calls they it mention out. that. Yeah. <laughs> he says, okay. Yes, I'm Chinese. So, of just, course, you assume yeah. that I deal in opium. But... I do appreciate how they handle each of the kind of diverse ethnic groups. And I feel like they go deeper and are, are handling it more sensitively than a lot of shows would. Yes. And Friday, of course, will happily have a one night stand with anybody from any ethnic group. Doesn't matter to her. <laughs> nope. <laughs> She's an equal opportunity seducer. <laughs> she is. You gotta love that. <laughs> and speaking of which, she even flies out to the bush to meet an old flame and walks around with no pants on, but hiking boots. Have to hiking wear the boots. hiking boots. And a, and a sweater. Yeah. No pants. No pants. You don't need pants. Nope. Not in the bush. All you need are hiking boots. <laughs> 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 Got to keep with the snake bite away. <laughs> yeah. We should have a tally, I think, of old flames. Mm. Franny's old flames. Yep. We could have like a world map. <laughs> There's guys in France. Yeah. There's uh, you know, there's guys from the war, there's local guys, there's military guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I love but I love that each time it's quite clear to Jack that Franny's got a history with all these guys. Right. And Jack, rather than, you know, having righteous indignation as you'd normally see, especially in an American show. Jack has to shut up and grin and bear it because it's none of his beeswax. Yeah. And I think that's fantastic. He gets kind of frustrating in, I think there are two episodes. Yeah. Uh, Death and the Maiden, which is, I think, season three. Um, Compton, her old flame Compton. The military guy. The military guy. And I actually... I sometimes skip over that episode when I'm rewatching. Yeah, especially when she has the fling with him and she runs out again pantsless in the yeah. middle of the night. Yeah, and so she seems a little too apologetic than, like, more so than I'd like her to be. Yeah, and she's not uh, apologetic at all with like Mr. Lin and right. And yeah. well, and that's pretty early. Yeah, in the series, and so by then, I guess by se- season three, we've established more of a relationship with with her and Jack. But I don't want to see her apologize. So right. it kind of grates that she is sort of yep. trying to explain what's going on, even though yep. it's pretty clear what is going on. Yeah. Reminiscing, quote unquote. Without pants. Without pants. <laughs> and, um, and Jack is just like this petulant little yeah. child. Like, I actually really dislike Jack in that episode. Yeah. And sometimes 
don't watch it See, because I think of him. Where they handle it well is in I think it's the second season where he believes she's been killed in a car wreck. Oh, because he gets the incomplete information. Yes, that was beautifully handled. It was so. But then he's so stupid and cowardly. Yeah. But yeah, no. But it's so. That but you scene, wonder, like he's angry because he's afraid she's dead, or he's afraid that he's going to lose her. Right. Not because he's jealous. And I think that is a much more interesting spin on it mm-hmm. than oh, you were with a guy. Right. No, it's really a wonderful scene that they do at the beginning of that episode and like almost and his, makes me tear his, up. Yeah, and his grief is so understated because everything he does is understated. But he takes off his hat. Yeah. And he like kind of shushes Hugh yeah. like, I need to concentrate on this. And he like prepares himself to, oh, it's it's a really... It's heart-wrenching. It is. It's a heart-wrenching yeah. scene and it's so wonderful. And you're right, he's so understated that these little gestures mean a lot yeah and show us just how much he cares for her yeah you don't see him he's not doffing his hat for any other nope dead person (laughs) i think ever part of the job yeah Yeah. but in this one oh it's it is gut-wrenching to watch so that's the other one and then he like you know distances himself from her and he's he's also kind of annoying in that one but yeah. for a better reason i guess for a better reason like his motives are clearer i think yeah still dumb still dumb and you're like you're gonna lose yeah <laughs> might as well go along with it because uh-huh. yeah. you can't live without her buddy yeah but yeah so those two episodes are kind of hard in that way but, but i love that everybody thinks she's a terrible driver and that's gets introduced in episode two you know when she goes yep. roaring off in her hispano suiza yeah, and it scares the crap out of Dot. Dot, poor Dot. <laughs> poor Dot. <laughs> Let's see. What does this one end with? Well, Hugh and Dot finally go on their date, their first date. Dot's wearing scandalous lipstick, <laughs> forced on her by Franny. Forced at the on her very by Franny, and before she gets the chance to wipe it off, yeah, Hugh walks in and has his coronary looking at looking at her. <laughs> it's a happy coronary. I know. He yeah. was such a wonderful open book. I just I, know. I love those saucer eyes. That he gets. <laughs> and then Phryne gets summoned to Jack's office ah, to yes. get the photographic plates. Right. And and we see at that point that Jack definitely is developing a crush on her yeah because after she leaves he goes through her file he's looking at the file when she comes in and he kind of snaps it closed yeah and then she takes the plates and she walks away all saucy like and gives him a little <laughs> is there grin. any other way for her to walk nope, I, I don't think, I saucy think it's just, is the word yeah that's yeah. her one setting and, <laughs> <laughs> and then he gives that little embarrassed like he 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 yeah. when he looks at the pictures of her. So, yeah, yeah I love and this. those fantastic mugshots. They I are hope really never good. That, that, I hope there are never mugshots of me in this world, but if there are, I hope I have the guts to take Franny-style mugshots. Oh, please do. <laughs> I think that... I think the plot line is a little convoluted with the, the dead guy. I mean, I understand he's a blackmailer. It's oh. Pamsy, the woman he's dancing with. She's yeah. totally annoying. He oh, we never talked about your beef about the seduction scene. Yeah, and the scene with Mr. Stone when he's trying to seduce Friny on the chaise lounge. Um, yeah. Um, I don't understand how they end that scene. It's It just sort of fades off, weirdly. Yeah. Because he, he's not going to give her the information that she wants, and she's not going to sleep with him until she gets it. And he just sort of, like, backs away and chuckles, and then it, like, just 
ends. And of all the guys in that show, like, she's going to sleep with him? Come on. <laughs> I think I must find I'm him more attractive than you I'm glad she ended up do. finding the, the scarred guy in the bush yeah. because, man, he was so much better than Mr. Fake Banjo Player. <laughs> Wearing the, his the hideous stupid white double-breasted <laughs> suit. <laughs> Oh, it, it almost is like a zoot suit. It's like this oversized... Well, it makes sense for the era. It does. I just... Oh, I hate that cut. That cut never goes away, though. They, like, it keeps rearing its ugly head mm-hmm. in history. Like, it comes back after World War II. Like, the Cary Grant, no oh. break in the trousers, big yeah. baggy double bread. Like, the, the early 50s, late 40s were another time of big oversized suits, and I hate them. <laughs> I love the more trim, slim look that... Jack wears, and then we get in the mod era of Mad Men. Oh, the slimline mod suit and this mm. narrow tie. How I love them! But yeah, big baggy circus tent suits. No, I guess I've never had much of an opinion when it comes to men's tailoring. I've got men's wear opinions in spades, and I'm yeah. not sure. What, well, actually, I I do know why. My husband makes his own clothes. That um, probably has something to do with yeah, it. Yeah, and actually, on on my on my own website, I've I've a couple of blogs that I write and. He, my husband doesn't like to be referred to by name on the internet, so I give him a pseudonym, and he's the tailor. He doesn't work as a tailor, but he makes his own clothes. So <laughs> we both have ton, buckets and buckets of menswear opinions. Right. We're, we're very strong-willed on those <laughs> counts. I just am always paying attention to Franny's outfits on this show. She's got some beautiful ones in oh, this. That, that dark purple velvet hat that she wears yes. with the, the feather and of course the white cloche her, her clo- she can really no one can wear a cloche like Franny, Franny Fisher. Fisher yeah it's very true man and even I mean even her hairstyle is almost like a cloche mm-hmm. like she has that kind of bell she's a perma cloche perma cloche <laughs> TM <laughs> perma cloche is it. a registered trademark of Mary Holstein Associates <laughs> yes <laughs> Other than the establishing each character's kind of color identity, I think the main overarching costume theme of this episode is bling. <laughs> because we've got all these flapper outfits and all these jeweled headbands and dangly necklaces and yeah. fringe and, and false eyelash bling. There's just <laughs> so much sparkly stuff in this episode. It's fantastic. Yeah, And even the extras in the dance club at the Green Mill. Even, the waitresses are all wearing see-through dresses and that are sparkly yeah like they have bling on them too yep. even though they're completely see-through yep and the oh you know noreen's dress when she is performing at the beginning mm-hmm. she's got that kind of muted mauve ostrich feather on her head but her dress that she's also wearing a striped dress yeah and it's got the satin oh. trim that dress is made up of teeny tiny little sequins yeah that you only see during the close-ups and they're so fabulous yeah they're like matte sequins so yeah they aren't super glossy no but i hadn't thought of that she and Franny are both wearing striped, striped dresses, dresses in that scene yep huh and black stripe as well yeah interesting yeah and i Man, I, it's it's hard to say who look who wears it better because they both just yeah. are knockouts. They really in those are dresses. It's incredible. And Nor- Noreen is really kind of sparkly and showy throughout. She's got these feathered headdresses. She's mm-hmm. got the sequins. She's got these kind of drapey strands of jewels like on her shoulders and in her hair. And it's and that oh that nineteen twenties finger wave I know. hairdo. I actually had that hairdo for my own wedding. <sighs> And 
I have curly hair. We both, you and I both have curly yeah. hair. And even I still sat for three hours <laughs> in a chair using all the hairspray known to man to get my hair to do that. I, I can't imagine people doing that. And you have to apply heat to it. And I So you pretty much have to have a lady's maid. Pretty much. I mean, I, I can't. I've actually tried to do that hairdo to myself, and I have not been successful. If if there's someone out there who can do it, I applaud you. I think you really need a lady's maid to do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This is something interesting. So the 1920s was when Pret-a-Porter, ready-to-wear fashion, really first arrived. For and and there are later episodes of Franny that deal with this. That mm-hmm. that talk about the kind of the end of the couture era and the beginning of the Pret-a-Porter era. And uh, if you look at costume history, wealthy women's clothing was historically, up to a certain point, designed to be put on by another person. Like, think about the Victorians and all of those buttons up their backs. Ugh. There's no way you could have done that by yourself. Or right. corset stays or yeah. those corset ribbons. You could not physically do that by yourself. <laughs> and the 1920s, I think part of that, you talked about the, the, the loss of corsets because of the war effort, but I think there also was something about women also not having ladies' maids anymore right. and women having to put on their own clothing, and they simply could not put on that kind of corset by themselves. And so fashion had to change to mm-hmm. accommodate that. And I think that's really that makes sense. interesting. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about Gosford Park before and how that the character who is kind of the outcast of the, of the, the evening, she's got a ready-made dress and she only has the one dress and even the the ladies maids are looking down on her because they say oh this is so much harder to to iron so I I wonder if there's something there like with the hairstyles and with these kind of these flapper dresses with all these sequins and everything I wonder when that shift happened And, and did and were poorer women able to go out to clubs like this did they have dresses like that I don't know it's all it's all really interesting to me Mm -hmm. Franny could pay for the help to get dressed, but she doesn't wear that kind of clothing because the styles have changed. She's still wearing couture clothing, as we find out, but... And she has them make trousers for her. Which oh, yeah. Which is very unusual. Which is, oh, So she can move yeah. and run and actually get into some trouble. <laughs> so she can fly her and get, airplanes. And, and get out of trouble, too. Right. Yeah. 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 Climb up on the roof of train cars and... <laughs> she wears... A pair of trousers, and they've made them in both black and white on the show. It's the same pattern. Yeah. Well, it's that flowy, that, like, flowy silk. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's actually silk, but it's got that kind of flowy silk texture. Yeah. With the pockets. Well, it's, like, you know, high-waisted with pockets. You never wear white after Labor Day. Although I suppose in Australia, you never wear white after Memorial Day. <laughs> or whatever the equivalent is right. in Australia. Or maybe if you're Friday, you just wear white whenever the hell you want to. Well, but sartorially, you would never wear white in the winter. You'd never wear white mm. pants in the winter. That okay. is absolute sartorial no-no. Huh. So in Australia, I guess that's June, July, August. You're not going to wear white pants. Huh. You know, it's funny. Whenever we, we talk about this show, we almost never focus on the plot. It's true. We're always talking about all the other stuff. I don't really care about the plot. It's just a way to get to the costumes. Yeah. And, and if the, you watch the show, you know how the plot's going to end. You right. Know the story, yeah. yeah. It is very formulaic. Yeah. And I, I really mostly don't care right. who did it. Like, I really don't care. Yeah. What I'm interested in are the cultural references and the costumes and the historical architecture and, and 
and everything else, all those other little bits. I like the frack. (laughs) (laughs) I'm there for the frack. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think that brings us to the end of another episode. So as we always do, we have our toast at the end. And I think it's pretty clear in this episode what we should toast to. I mean, we have talked about so many different social issues and every single one of them really boils down to equality Mm -hmm. in some way. We've got the interracial marriage. We've got the gay rights. We have fitting in society after a war. So you know what? Let's toast to equality today. To equality. To equality. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.